The world offers you comfort, but you're not made for comfort. You're made for the greatness of God himself. So let's embrace that greatness in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Father, come, please, and glorify your name. Thank you, Jesus, for your love that sustains us, that um, you think of us every moment of our lives, that all of our, our satisfaction comes from you, all the peace, all the, the good things that we receive in our lives comes directly from you. We thank you, Jesus, so much for being here with us today. Please bless whoever might be listening. And please come and glorify your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My dear friends, thank you for joining me here today. I want to share with you three things. One, road to Emmaus. Two, healing of the beggar. And three, living water. The gospel reading for today is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. It's a little long. I'm not going to read the whole thing. And the uh, the... The epistle come, or the first reading comes to us from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. The uh, reading from my daily meditation book, Divine Intimacy, is titled Living Water, and it's really, really interesting. I, it's from the older um, liturgical calendar, so sometimes the readings don't always line up. But I, I like trying to, to see if God's telling me something here or telling us something here with these connections and and there might not be a direct connection with this reading from Divine Intimacy on Living Water to the Gospel or to um, the reading from Acts. But I, I, there's a connection that, I, that seems very obvious to me. And so I'm going to talk about it a little bit. So first, let's talk about, and very briefly, um, the actually the Apostles chapter 3. So we have here Peter and John going around casually for a stroll, healing people. And... Um, it says here, chapter 3, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a, lay, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. He's not asking for healing. And he's seeing Peter and John. He's not seeing the person of Jesus, kind of like the, the paralytic in the Gospels who saw Jesus and cried out, Jesus of Nazareth, please come and heal me. Um, and so Peter directed his gaze at him with John and said, look at us. The guy's already looking at them. And so when I read that, I think, you know, look at us. We've, I've got nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing here for you. I've got nothing. I've got no money. Do I look like I have money? And not in a not in a nasty tone. I don't think Peter's saying. And I think that'd be a, probably a wrong reading of things because uh, I I get the assumption that these guys were just fully they they knew God so intimately and they suffered with Him. They suffered um, in their relationship with Him and in the and the con they suffered the consequences, especially Peter consequences of of rejecting Jesus of denying him and they they were at the they got down to the point of being rock bottom and being brought up again to this new life to this fulfillment of all the promises that Jesus gave them that he would be raised from the dead that he is their messiah he is their deliverer he is their chosen one and all of these things were fulfilled all of salvation history up to that point was fulfilled in their midst. Imagine that. You got a buddy you go out for beers with. and he, Or whatever it is. You just go hang out with any promises you something. 
uh, completely unbelievable almost. How could this person be the one that we are all yearning for? And then not only that, but this one that we're yearning for chose me to be with him. Uh, that'd be just a, a gamut of emotions going through my brain and my heart if I was one of those guys. And, and again, I, I reject the reading that these apostles were dumb. I've heard that so many times from clergy and from teachers in different places where I've lived. I think it's absolutely wrong. They might not have been, um, they, they might not have been, uh, what, are, what are they, uh, rabbis. You know, they might not have been Pharisees or, or Sadducees. They were just regular hardworking men. That doesn't make them any less than anybody else. So anyway, uh, so Peter says to him, look at us. And so this man, this this lame beggar, fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but I give you what I have. And when I read this, this is Peter literally saying, I have nothing but this. Nothing but Jesus. And I'm going to give you this Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This reminds me a little bit of, well, not a little bit, a lot, of um, Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, where she wasn't in a position to ask for healing. And this guy didn't, and, and for Peter's mother-in-law, she it seems like she was, she couldn't communicate. She was at a point just so sick that she couldn't communicate her need. Um, where this gentleman, he could communicate his need, but he just he just knew that he, he needed some sort of sustenance for his life. And he was at a point in his life where... Um, Probably that he just he was a fully aware of his abject poverty and needed to beg for money to live to survive. See, he didn't have any pretense in his heart. Presumably, I mean, of course, I don't, I can't read minds, and and I'm not, I'm not Doctor Who, so I can't exactly travel back in time to be there. But me, anyway, I, I won't get, I won't go on a tangent. So, but this man was at a point where he knew his need, and Peter who was at that point and probably remained at that point of knowing his need for Jesus, shared it with him. And so the faith here is Peter's faith. It's not like this man had requested to be healed in a perfect way and and had intentions afterwards to to, to live his life, like to, to continue to ask. He just knew that he was healed. And Peter just knew that Jesus would heal him. I, a few weeks ago, I was involved in the uh, healing ministry. Um, the, we, my wife and I partake, partook in this um, ceremony of, of asking God for healing for various things in our lives. And, there, you know, the, uh, over the years, there's different things that you hear about when it comes down to healing and requesting God for healing. Um, those different things vary. You know, sometimes you got to, people tell you, oh, you know, if you don't get healed, you don't have good, perfect faith. And, um, if you don't get healed, you didn't ask in the right way, the right reason for the right time, or whatever it is. And there's almost this for, formulaic response to healing. But this this formulaic response to healing here in this reading isn't there. 
the the beggar wanted money. He didn't ask for to be healed. He just needed money. You know, maybe there's something going on in his heart where he just knew he just was begging God. He knew his need for more of God. And he also knew his need for sustenance. And sometimes when it comes down to following God and serving him, we need to look at both factors into play. We've got to be able to pay the bills and we've got to be able to serve God the best that we can. But I think it's really neat here that um, there, there's no necessarily, there's no real piety on the part of the beggar. There's just rawness. There's just a raw need. And there's no real formula from Peter. There's no real, okay, I'll say this prayer in this way and therefore be healed. Gosh darn it, be healed. Because I just said it the right way. There is nothing like that. There's just this, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. Very simple. I have nothing to give you but the, but the power of God. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly where to take this, other than just to somehow um, live my life expecting God to do what He says, and expecting God, not wanting people to suffer, but rather to fulfill all of their desires, all of their needs. And I'm trying to. There's a little thought forming in my my wee brain. I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to come out. Um, but it the the thing that I, I like about this reading is that there's no real right way of asking God for healing. There's just asking God for healing. And then there then the next part comes into play is do I do I well, do I want God to heal me? Do I realize a need for more of God in this area of my life? And more of God in the way of healing, physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it might be? Do I do I recognize my need for God's miraculous intervention? You know, so anyway, um, I think that's really important. So when it comes down to people saying, well, you don't have enough faith, that's why you weren't healed. I think maybe the, the, the bigger reason would be um, not so much a, a lack of faith in believing Jesus is God, but maybe um, understanding my need for God is maybe more to the point. The other thing to keep in mind is that this is God's business, not my business. And God is in the business of healing and restoring souls. He's in the business of advancing his kingdom throughout the entire world because that's where we find our peace and our satisfaction is living within his kingdom, living within his grace. That's where we find our peace. So there's also the other thing of this healing, this act of healing, advancing the kingdom of God to be determined by God himself, not by anything I think or nothing, not by anything that I say in the right way at the right time with the right inflections. It becomes superstitious if I get fixated on the inflection and the right words to say, but rather just to say, God, heal this person. You know, that reminds me of that show. I can't remember the name of the show. I think it's called Touched by an Angel. Back in the 90s, there's this Irish woman um, was this angel and she had a, a couple friends that, um, you know, they went around helping people. And Kind of like that Highway to Heaven show, which is great, but this is more about um, these three people walking around helping. helping. And one story that comes to mind, it was, and it always struck me as a beautiful story about prayer. And it relates in this way. So there's a man who didn't believe in God, just thought that God was just this non-existent thing, or maybe um, the opioid of the masses, you know. There's a lot of that these days. A lot of people think that these days. And I think that has has to, the accountability on that comes on us. Christians 
for not behaving the way we need to behave. I digress. So this this gentleman who just rejected God completely, and his kid, I believe it was, was desperately sick and dying. I think it was his kid, maybe his wife. Um, this person that he loved was dying, and, and he desperately, desperately, desperately needed God to help. Didn't have any other way to go. There's The doctors didn't know what to do. Science wasn't working for him. Um, nothing was working for him. Nothing seemed logical. And the angel was there in his life encouraging him, just ask God, just talk to him. Go talk to him. So the guy went into the chapel at the hospital, didn't know what to say, didn't know how to pray. And he started praying a sort of a formulaic prayer that he may learn when he was a kid. And it started off by saying something like, oh, dear almighty eternal God, how art thou? Um, please help. <laughs> and, um, you know, or I don't even think he said please. But anyway, he broke down, started to cry. And he said, please heal my loved one. And he just cried and he sobbed and he wept. There's no formula there. So what happened? The, his loved one was healed completely. He recognized his need for God to intervene. And he was at a point in his life where he was just like this beggar at the door. Where he, he had nothing, but he knew that he needed something. It's not, it's not the right formula, but it's, it's the disposition of the heart, it seems. And there's also the expectation that God wants to do something. Do we believe that? You know, what, what do we run to? We, we're, I don't know. I, I'm not knocking on anybody who, who loves the more traditional liturgies. I'm not knocking on anybody who, who loves um, I don't know, Jordan Peterson. I, I really like Jordan Peterson. But we're running to something. It seems like we're, we're, we're running for something deeper than what we have. And at the same time, I don't, I don't hear people talk about God acting in our lives. I, I, that's an interesting thing to me. And I, I don't know why that is. I don't hear people um, uh, talking about expecting God to do something really good. And I, that's in general terms. I know there's a lot of people that I know that that know for a fact God is going to act. And probably through this situation that we're in, with all these government lockdowns and this whatever virus this is, um, there's a lot of people that expect God to fully act completely. Some of them... See, this is retribution from God for the evils that we're doing in our world. Some of this, some of this, just just see this as a fulfillment of prophecy. You know, I I don't really have a strong opinion either way, other than the fact that I know God is going to act, and that He is acting. So I, I wonder if maybe the fact that we don't see a whole lot of miracles these days isn't so much about God not wanting it to happen, but perhaps we don't recognize our need for it yet. And if, and if we can say that God is using this virus situation, I, I suggest that God is using this virus situation, not that he creates it or wants it, but the best, the good that he's taking out of it is, is bringing us to our knees to be this beggar at the gate of, of needing, knowing that we need more than what we have, because what we have is nothing. We're not made for the comforts of this world. We're made for the greatness of God. And until we fully, and well, I shouldn't say it in this way, but I, I'll continue my thought. Until we, we, we realize fully that our need for God's greatness, it won't happen. But it's also God beats us halfway. So the more that I become more aware of my, the lack of fulfillment I receive and the comforts that I, that I have in this world, 
the more that I become aware of God's, the need, my need for God's greatness and the more of him in my life, God's going to meet me there. I mean, I might not be at the fullest capacity of needing him or wanting him like the beggar was, but he, God meets me wherever I'm at. Just because I, I know that he's going to act. And that, that knowledge of knowing him, that knowing that he's going to act is a developmental knowledge. It's not something that just drops on me one day and I fully realize. I mean, some people that happens, but not for me personally. My dear friends, God wants to act miraculously and powerfully in your life. The question is, do you, do you see it? Do you see a need for it? Do you think that he will? It doesn't need to be a formulaic response to wanting him to act, just a need for more of him. Just simply say it, God, show me my need for you today. Show me my need for you today. And I tell you, my friends, you say this prayer. And just like those two people on the road to Emmaus, your eyes will be revealed, your eyes will be opened. This it's neat that uh, in the reading from the Gospel of Luke, there's this language in verses uh, uh, 30. This now, this is chapter 24, verse 30. He says, when he sat at the table with them, this is Jesus sitting with them, after he, he shared with them all of, all of history of salvation with them. After talking about, you know, Jesus was his fulfillment of all these things. They, they, he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with him, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So right there we have this, this Eucharistic meal. This, what, I mean, what does that meal remind you of? It reminds you of the Last Supper. This Eucharistic meal that Jesus is giving himself to them. And it says here in verse 31, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished out of their sight. So it was this it, within this breaking of the bread that their eyes became opened. And what does that language remind me of? It reminds me of Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, where, where Satan's referring to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And their eyes aren't opened to this, to this shame of the situation. But this, this true knowledge of good and evil. You know, I'm not really sure how to word it, but their eyes aren't open to, to shame in their, of their situation, but, they're, but rather to peace to fulfillment. Their eyes are open to fulfillment. Their eyes are open to a burning heart. Their, their eyes are open to a deep personal encounter with Jesus, the living God. Their eye, I'll say it again, their eyes are open to a deep and personal encounter with Jesus. Are your eyes opened to a deep and personal encounter with Jesus? Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? God is. God is ready for that. <laughs> He's ready to meet you. He's ready to meet me. Do I want my eyes to be opened? You know, and, and I know when I say that to my own self, my my brain runs runs away. He's, oh no, he's gonna see all the all the dirt in my life. He's gonna see all the sin. He's gonna see my smallness. I gotta tell you something. I gotta tell me something. He already sees it, and he desires to be with you anyway. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's beautiful. Don't be afraid today 
today, right now, to have a deep and personal encounter with Jesus, your living God. With Jesus, your peace. Not the comforts of the world, not the money that we make, not the jobs, not the praise, not the whatever it is, the homes, the vacations, whatever it is that we seek, not those things. They can't satisfy you the way Jesus can. They can't satisfy me the way Jesus can. Are you willing to let that stuff go as your God? Am I willing to let this stuff go? Be willing, my dear friends, to let all of these things go so that you can have a deep and personal encounter with Jesus, the living God. Become a beggar. Become a beggar today. Don't go halfway. Become a beggar today for Jesus. See your need for him today. Jesus, come and show me how I am a beggar for you. Please, Jesus, come. This brings me to this this meditation on, on living water. If I don't see my thirst for the living water, like that woman at the well, the good the Samaritan woman, if I don't see my thirst, my need for this, how can I drink this living water that he wants to give me? Make me more and more aware of my need for your living water, dear Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, make me more and more aware of my need for your living water. Make me more and more aware of myself as a beggar before Christ, as a beggar before the heart of Jesus. Make me more and more aware of my need for you. The next thing we got to ask God for, I think, is this, this awareness of what I'm seeking for comfort, what I'm seeking for satisfaction. Am I seeking satisfaction in, you know, like I said earlier, possessions, my house, my prestige. I live in a great neighborhood. I've got great money. I make six figures. What is, am I, what, what am I looking for? What's my satisfaction? I've got good friends. You know, I talk good stuff about beer. I like scotch. I'm saying all the right things at the right time and for the right reason, but it's not formulaic. It's the rawness of your heart that we need. It's not about a formula that satisfies our lives. It's about Jesus Christ who satisfies our lives and our need for that Jesus. Do you need the living water of Jesus in your heart? Say yes or no. Do you need more of him? I do. I do. Please, Jesus, come. Fill our hearts with your living water. My dear friends, never forget that you're not made for the comforts of this world. Never forget that. Whatever that might be. Never forget that it's not about a formula of things, of saying things, of doing things, of thinking things. It's not, there's not a, a checkbox that we got to do to become satisfied in life. The only one thing is necessary is to, feed, is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to beg for crumbs from, from, this, from the scraps of God's good table. And he's going to give you so much more. So much more. He will heal you just like he healed this paralytic, this beggar, this lame beggar sitting at the door, knowing nothing but his own desperation, gets every single thing he ever could have imagined. He didn't wake up that morning thinking, 
God, I'm going to get healed today. No, I'd imagine he woke up that morning, God, where's my next meal today? So for you and me, where's our next meal today? Please, Jesus, let that meal, let that satisfaction come from you. Let you be our meal today. Let you be our drink today. Come, Holy Spirit. Expect big things from from God, my dear friends. Expect the miraculous. He's ready to do it. He's waiting for you to be ready for it. Be ready for it. Say, Jesus, come into my life with your living water. In Jesus' name we pray, my friends. In Jesus' name, amen.